Welcome back to Level Up, the place where we get to look back on past messages, answer some questions that you might have, or address some things going on in a world or a church. Well, uh, this past week we talked about uh, leadership in the church, and as you read about, I don't know, 30% of the New Testament <laughs> in the process. Uh, but we did, uh, over the course of Sunday and throughout the week, get some questions about leadership in general. Uh, so the format's going to feel a little bit different today. It might be a little less conversational and a little more rapid fire, kind of blasting through some questions to answer some of the questions that you guys had. Um, so to guess, to start things off, uh, we're going to talk about Little Seed Church, meaning local LSCC, um, and how many elders we have and why that is. Sure. Um, for those that made it through the message and stayed for the Q&A oh, session. Yeah, all six hours of it. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions that was there, the, well, I guess there was a couple, whatever. One of the questions that was asked is how many elders do we have? Again, and you mentioned Little C Church, so Lake Superior Christian Church, and, and we have three. Um, I guess for clarity, you want to point out who those are in case somebody might not know. Sure. Myself, uh, Joel Asher, and, and Dick Pernsteiner. And then I, I mentioned, as I answered that question, that you also sit in the formal monthly elders mm -hmm. meetings. Um, we do consider a group of, of folks as sort of the second tier of leadership in the sense that <clears throat> topic specific or uh, maybe specialty or experience specific, we may pull them in for something I, I mentioned. Uh, kind of like an advisory role. Yeah. I mean, the, the uh, Carrie Green, who teaches, you know, when, when, they're, when he's in town, some and a couple former elders and then uh, some other people that have some specialties, like a guy that has been involved in missions for years around here. So point being, we try very, very hard not to do anything in a vacuum, uh, especially when it seems to be something that's at a level that's going to really impact people. So um, the part that I didn't really have a chance to elaborate on in that answer on Sunday, just because of my time and already being over, is that the New Testament doesn't specify a number of elders. So it's not like we can flip it open to Acts chapter 15 and it says must have five elders or more or something like that. And so I just wanted to briefly touch on that. Um, what the New Testament is clear on, every time this comes up in Scripture, in the New Testament, and it brings uh, and, it, and it talks about elders, it's always plural in nature. It never says elder, like go talk to your elder, implying that there's only one. It's always giving us a, a plural, a plurality. And so what we can take from that uh, in our church leadership uh, setting is that at a minimum, then there would need to be at least two. Um, but like we consider three at a minimum, and, and, and some of that is just going to be dependent on your church makeup, like uh, your congregational makeup, also the size of your church. Um, I mean, certainly there is a limit to which you have 50% of the church's elders, and yeah, really, yeah. then I mean, what's the point? Yeah, I think there would be, uh, you know, sort of the law of diminishing returns. If mm -hmm. you have too many people sitting at that table that, you know, if everyone's expected to be heard about, you know, 
whatever the, the, a particular issue you just it, you're, so um i think if you got beyond seven or nine maybe nine beyond that that's, that's that's a lot of people in a room unless maybe the meetings were quarterly and they were half a day long or something and you let's say were over i mean a, a very particular slice of the pie they're very specialized roles yeah, in that case. yeah i think maybe that could be um constructive oh and, I, and i've known of some churches that have done that and yet then there was sort of an executive eldership board where you might meet as a big group and everybody gives their slice of the pie and then there was however many that sort of served as sort of the executive elders or probably a better term for it than that um so that was primarily what i couldn't get to in the message there with the question was just that, that there's no specified amount of elders needed number of needed it's just it, it always uses it in a plural way and so i think that's very intentional obviously if it was just you or just me or just one person making all of the decisions, um, I, you know, that's a recipe for disaster in a lot of ways, maybe sometimes unintentionally, other times intentionally. And so by having a, a plurality of, of men yeah, to many share Many different voices, that, a level yeah, of accountability, exactly. different insights as well. So I think, you know, with our situation right now, I would I think that and I've I've had I think nine and I've had as few as three. I think the magic numbers is is like five, and I think the odd number is right in case you have to vote for something. Um so it couldn't be split three to three mm -hmm. or something. I think five is a really good number. because uh, that's that's few or, or, enough where it's not just you know, one redundant voice. Uh, but it's also few enough that you can move through topics and, 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 and you know, do the decision-making processes e efficiently. So, um, yeah. So, and I guess, I don't know if you want to touch on um, why are there, for lack of a better way of saying it, why do we have the, quote, bare minimum at the moment? Why don't we have that, that five that you're looking for? Well, it's not for lack of trying. Um, you know, we've said this in core meetings. I think I said this last week. We have no real idea who watches these. I'm going to assume it's mostly our our people. So if you don't go to core meetings, I would really encourage you to go to core meetings because you'd hear more about this type of a thing. Um, but it's not for lack of trying. Uh, we've, I mean, I've been here for six and a half years. And I mean, Joel has a spreadsheet. <laughs> There are enough names on that list of yeah and that have been asked multiple times and now some of those folks aren't aren't with lake spirit christian church anymore and, and those that are uh, you know some of some of those guys that are still here that would kind of be in the you know quote unquote mature bracket age-wise have served as elders before and for one reason or another it doesn't fit any longer um and you know, there's not a ton of guys that that fit. You know, I talked about how how the word elder in the Greek it, it it's talking about someone with maturity and specifically 
age and experience and I, you know, kind of joked about gray hair and that sort of a thing. And so, you know, ideally that's what we would have. And look, I mean, that a congregation is going to ebb and flow in its demographics. So we don't have a ton of that demographic right now. What we do have is, you know, guys that are your age in and around plus or minus a handful of years, young families and stuff like that. And so, um, I'm doing my best. We're doing our best collectively as leadership to to bring bring those guys along. And, and some of them may have eldership in their future, and, and some of them may not. Either way, we're we're building that foundation, and uh, we've got a responsibility to do that. So, all of that to say, it's not for lack of trying, and we'd love to develop that team further. I, ideally, I would love five sitting in those meetings. So we'll see what cool. the future has. I think that answers that question. Uh, moving on to the next, uh, while the Bible does spec or uh, define eldership in the New Testament, um, what's the difference between leadership in the New Testament compared to what leadership is now? Like, what are we leading? What's our goal there? Okay. Well, Compared to what New Testament, like early church, Acts church, first century church, to what we have today is, I mean, I think the, the primary difference would be scale, right? I mean, the, the church in Acts, the first century church would have looked like what your home group looks like. We call them connect groups for those that don't know that. Mm -hmm. You've got your apartment or your house and your small group of people. I don't know, you got four or five couples in mm -hmm. yours, but let's just say that your house was big enough to have 15 or 20 couples because you had a basement or some arrangement that allowed for it. That would have been what the, the early church would have looked like. And I mean, you're not managing another building, you're not managing programming, you're not managing. Uh, paying utility bills and all of those kinds of things because you're meeting at your house, right? You, you've already, mm -hmm. you're already managing that. It's just once a week, there's a bigger group of people there. And so I think that's the primary difference is scale. Um, obviously, fast forwarding to today or modern times, I mean, this is a big building. There's lots of upkeep both in the building and outside the building. Um, you start factoring in ministries that, that operate within the boundaries of our walls or property, and then ministries that exist outside, right? There's just, there's kind of levels of leadership in the sense that there's, there's a lot going on to manage. The bigger the church, uh, usually the more things that are going on. And so you've got lots of, um, I guess, second tier leadership. I mean, maybe elders are leading some of the things, but, you know, we talked about deacons, and so they might be leading a ministry of this or a Bible study of that. And so it's just a lot to manage. I think that reminds me of the, the Old Testament story that I used on Sunday of Jethro and Moses, where it, he was dividing it in tens and hundreds and thousands, right? I mm -hmm. mean, there, there needed to be a lot of leadership uh, dissemination. And so I think, I think those are kind of the primary differences. Um, 
you know, again, going back to the house church model, you can get your arms around that. And you're in close proximity to however many families are part of your house church, be it five, like it is your connect group or call it 15 or 20. You might not want to manage that, but you could manage that, yeah, right? Totally. So here, um, or other churches that are that are larger than us, like there's just no way that you're going to get your arms around all of that. And so you've got to have um, you, you've got to have different tiers of leadership because we our primary responsibility is building up of the body. Obviously, God's word and singing and, and, and communion and baptism and those kinds of things, but that's going to have to be done through the body, utilizing the body to take care of all of those things. And so I would say the primary difference is scale. Yep. Scale, the business aspect and that sort yeah. of thing. Definitely. Cool. Let's keep on blasting through. Um, one of the things that you mentioned uh, was we're in an age uh, of mistrust of leadership. So I don't know if you have any thoughts to expound on that or how you lead in, in spite of it. You know, it's tough because I'm sitting here as a, a leader of a church and I'm going to be answering a question about mistrust of leadership and sort of, it seems kind of weird to be talking about it, but um, it's not lost on me. I mean, look, I there's leadership that I've either mistrusted in the past or that I mistrust now uh, for varying reasons some of them probably good solid reasons and others just because you know i don't know maybe you got a bad look yeah. or a weird vibe or something like that yeah i would i mean i hope that i've matured past some of that kind of stuff but i mean we're not <laughs> we're not perfect and um so i think what we have to do is, and this kind of reminds me of Celebrate Recovery or any other kind of a recovery, um, you know, ministry or program. First, you have to acknowledge that, that that's there. Like if you were the, I, I, would, I have a mistrust for you as a leader and here's why. Or I have a mistrust for this organization and, and here's why. I think, and even my experience uh, here as a pastor and in other situations and jobs, a lot of times we don't even get to step one of acknowledging that it's there. We'll grumble to ourselves, we'll grumble to our wives, we'll grumble to our best friends, but she's not changing that and you're not changing that. The only people that could hope to change it is the conversation that I'm not having with mm -hmm. that person or that organization or that leader, right? And so I think, that's the first thing. And then beyond that, um, I haven't found this to always be true, but I'm reminded of um, Joel gave a message when we were, forget, we were still online because it was recorded, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. It's he like talked about some rules of eldership. And, and one of those rules was, and I, you know, he could clarify whether he pulled this from somewhere or heard it from somewhere, but one of the rules was, 90% uh, of problems can be, be solved with a like 10 minute, minute conversation, conversation, right? And I mean, it's kind of like a proverb that doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, exactly true. But the, the sentiment of that, I think so many things are because of 
miscommunication or poor communication or poor listening or some combination of those things. And I mean, I can think of, and I'm sure you could think of, and, and our audience can think of so many instances where once they had the conversation, there was sort of a, oh, now oh, I get that's it. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully you haven't gone too far down the path of burning bridges before you have that conversation, which I think we're all guilty of. But well, I mean, that's our natural tendency is to be able to stew on things. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think we like to be miserable yeah. in some ways yeah. and feel, feel like we've been wrong. So we like to stew on those things, spread those things, yeah. and they become a much bigger problem than they had to be initially. I've, I think it's important to have those conversations yeah, yeah. and quick. One thing that I do and take a little bit of a rabbit trail here, um, in premarital counseling, one of the things that I learned and one of the things that I, that I teach these uh, engaged couples to do is, and I've even said this from the stage because it would certainly extend beyond just premarital couples, but we have a tendency to assume the worst about like in that, in that instance, our fiance, but give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, mm -hmm. right? And so another way of saying that would be judging you based on your actions and judging myself based on my intentions, okay? And man, it doesn't take much thinking to realize how dangerous that can be. And so I think that in situations like this where there is, is mistrust, um, especially when it's murky like mm -hmm. like we don't know for sure Walter did a thing and it was wrong right maybe it's gray I think those are the instances where that to circle back to Joel's thing that, that communication is key and let's have the benefit of the doubt Instead of assuming the worst, let's see what's said and, and talked about and brought up and see if there's not a, a path forward yeah. from there. And then add in what you said before, like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And it's amazing what little bit of context can make all the difference in a situation. Sure. Now, the other aspect that I just said, let's say it's clear, clear wrongdoing. Walter, you did this and it was wrong. We are terrible at apologizing to one another, right? Like, because yeah. we have to swallow our pride and be humble. And I think that, that especially when you're a leader, you can't, I'm just thinking about instances right now. And as a leader, you can't, you can't wear that, that, that pride mm -hmm. because you are just, um, perpetuating the wrong that's already occurred. So like if, if there is a clear instance of, 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 of you did this and it was wrong, own it, right? And as leaders, sometimes we have to stand up and own things that we might not even have done directly, but because we're part of a leadership group or leading a church or an organization or whatever, by nature of our position, just stand up and own it. You can't kick that can down the road because if you do, it's just going to get worse. Um, in that instance with that individual or, you know, maybe it's got some way of compounding outside of it. But I think especially when we're talking about mistrust of leadership and you've got to be transparent and 
you know, to the degree in which you're, you're able, you know, I mean, there's some situations that privacy would trump transparency, but transparent and vulnerable and just taking ownership of, of your part in the thing and, and, and genuinely apologizing and asking for forgiveness. And at that point, if I've done those things in an instance like that, man, that's that ball's in your court now. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, the mistrust in leadership or the trust in leadership, I think people see as a one-way street when it's really a two. Yes. So as a leader, you, generically you, have responsibility to have the integrity um, and the morals and the upstanding to own those mistakes and be solid in your decisions. But at the same time, as uh, followers or people under leadership, we have the responsibility to ask the questions, to gain clarification instead of just assuming you deserve the mistrust. Yeah, yeah. Try to get on the same page and that's getting on the, well, unity, which we'll be getting more into the next couple of weeks. Excuse me. Uh, the other thing too is like, I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. Like I don't, I can't, I mean, I think God gifts us in different ways and some of us seem to have a, a greater discernment than others, you know, I, it's, but we, we make the best decisions that we can um, yes. with, with the time that we, or the information that we have at the time. And, and unfortunately the people watching leadership have the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. Like that was a poor decision, even though in that moment, yeah. there's no way to know. Sure, sure. Well, okay, here's, this is, a, I think, a common misconception with the way uh, the church structure as a whole is, and I, we touched on it, we alluded to it a bit, but we, I think we can dig into this a little bit more before we uh, uh, end this episode, about how the church exists to support the people, not the other way around. Yeah, I think. I don't remember touching that this week, but I believe that was part of my intro to the first message of the series um, that we get. I asked that quite, is the church an event? Is it a building? Is it right? And I unpacked that a little bit. And so we do get confused that the church, the ecclesia, the, the body, the mm -hmm. gathering is, is there to somehow support the church right uh the institution the organization rather than the reverse which is that's a confusing part about being in the modern church because we do have a building we do have an organization we have leadership structure yeah. and under that umbrella we want to see that thrive yeah i mean in so, our sense compared to the new testament church like we covered a little bit ago um it, it kind of has to be a both and mm -hmm. Like, I mean, to a degree, but not, not one at the expense of the other. So the, the, the people always have to trump the organization or institutional part of it. And I think that's an easy thing to get lost in the mix. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly mostly a, a linear thinker and I can get caught up in the projects and the doing of things and lose track of the people aspect of it. We're all wired differently in that way. So that's a that's something that I have to keep in the forefront of my mind a lot because I mean if we're not taking care of each other, well then the reality is then the the church as an institution or an organization 
isn't going to exist, right? Mm -hmm. What's the, the, if you're leading and you look behind you and there's no one there, then what do you, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not actually leading. So if you're not taking care of your people, right? In that analogy, you look back and there's no people. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. I think we get lost in the busyness of, of programming and maybe you have some success with this thing or that thing. And so you start to devote more resources, time, talent, treasure to those things. And then as time goes along, um, you know, we've heard the expression, the, the, the tail wagging the dog, right? And mm-hmm. so these programs or ministries uh, can start sort of wagging, wagging the dog. And, and in that sense, we're, we're, we're controlled by the institutional nature of things. And you forget about the, the, the people in the community part. So I think that, you know, we, there's life cycles or maybe it'd be better to say seasons where the church is, is changing this, the, the makeup of, of the body, LSCC or otherwise. And so there's not always going to be the way of doing this or the way of doing that. So you have to, you're going to have to ebb and flow with your people, um, what the needs are at the time um, for that particular season. And that season might be short, that season might be long, um, but never letting the institution of things trump, um, trump the community and the relational pieces. Because at the heart of it, it's relationship that drives, we won't go too far into that because we're going to be speaking on that in a couple weeks here, but it's focusing on, um, well, the church leadership pours into the building up of the body of the people and their relationship because at the core of it, the institution, the organization, it all exists to feed the body, to grow that body as individuals and as people. And I mean, I mean, we just, from a discipleship standpoint, I mean, I guess we can do formal discipleship where we have workbooks or books or whatever and, and, and do it in that sort of a fashion. But the best discipling that I've had since being a Christian and seems like this is pretty common is the relational dynamic where you know about me and I know about you and we're doing this thing together and learning the Bible and there's discipleship happening uh, that way and it's it's not that it doesn't have form or structure but there's also the organic nature the relational nature to the discipleship um, so it's not just when, when we talk about um, relationships and stuff like that I mean I know we joked a couple weeks ago about crockpot church mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff but so yes that but it also informs how we grow and develop, you know, Matthew 28. So teach them to obey, right, all that I've commanded. So you're making disciples through teaching and obeying all that we commanded. That's the discipleship form. And so there's community within that. That's building up the body. So. And relationships take time to form and take time to grow. Ultimately, yeah. they're deeper and stronger. But like we said... It's like a crock pot. Takes a minute. Sure, sure. Cool.
So I guess that wraps up all the questions that we had received during the week about church leadership. If you find that you have more, feel free to reach out. Our email addresses are on the website. And we will look forward to seeing you on the next Level Up. (laughs) Take two. Yeah. I'm just like the world's worst talk show host.